qualities that I think are almost quite interesting qualities, but they things that I believe are part of things that we can grow in our lives to help us overcome setbacks that we might go through and help us move into the promises that God has for us. And those three things um, are resilience, self-awareness, and being intentional. And so I want to look over the next three weeks at those three qualities and how we can more foster those things in our lives to help us with different areas of our lives. So today I want to speak about this quality called resilience. So I'm going to ask Sophie to put up um, a slide for me. The people that I had up are, the first person is Einstein, um, the second person is Walt Disney. The third person is Michael Jordan. And the fourth person is Oprah Winfrey. Do you know, all those people are, as soon as I say those names, I'm sure you all know who they are. They're instantly recognizable to you. You could go any country in the world, and those would be names that you'd be familiar with. All of those people have had success in their lives. But that's not the actual reason why I've chosen those people to put up on the PowerPoint for you to see their faces. It's not that they've made a success of their lives, but the fact that all of those people in some area of their lives have failed and struggled and have had setbacks, but overcome them to move on to success. Um, Einstein, when he was four, um, they didn't know that he was actually dyslexic, and his primary his preschool teacher basically said he wouldn't amount much to much in his life, and that he wasn't a scholar and he would never learn very much. That was what was said about Einstein. Oprah Winfrey was said that she just didn't have the personality and the character for TV and would never make a TV talk show host, and she was fired from her first job. Okay, Michael Jordan, um, he, when he was in high school, he was kicked off his basketball team. They said he wasn't good enough to be a basketball player. That's what was said of Michael Jordan. And uh, Walt Disney, so what happened to Walt Disney was when he went for, um, he worked for a newspaper, and he was trying his best in a, in a newspaper agency, and uh, they said, they they said to him, Walt Disney, you can try this job, but actually you lack very little imagination. You, you, have no, you don't have much initiative and creativity. That's what was said of him. So all of these people had things in their lives where what was spoken over them and what they experienced was not how they finally lived and uh, what happened to them. They, they overcame this, their failures. And Douglas and Walter were two uh, University of Pennsylvania MBA graduates. And uh, they were laid off during the recession of, in 2011 um, by their Wall Street companies. And both of them, both Douglas and Walter, went into a complete tailspin. They were sad, listless, indecisive, and really anxious about the future. And for Douglas, however, that mood was transient, it was temporary. And after two weeks, he told himself, it's not you, it's the economy that's going through a bad patch. I'm actually good at what I do, and there will be a market for my skills. He updated his resume, and he sent it to a dozen New York firms, all of which rejected him. 
He then tried six companies in Ohio in his hometown, and eventually he landed a position. Walter, by contrast, just spiraled into hopelessness. I got fired because I can't perform under pressure, he thought. I'm not cut out for finance, and the economy will take years to recover. Even as the market improved, Walter didn't look for another job, and he ended up moving back in with his parents. See, Douglas and Walter stand on opposite ends of a continuum of reactions to failure. The Douglases of the world bounce back after a brief period of disappointment, and within a year, they've grown from the experience they've had. The Walters go from sadness to depression to paralyzing fear about the future. I can think of a Douglas and Walter duo in the Bible. Think of Saul and David. Saul was a handsome king with stature, and he was anointed by God to lead the people of Israel. But he fails in his kingly duty when one day he is impatient and waiting for Samuel to arrive and to, to do a sacrifice. And so he just takes it on himself and performs the sacrifice, which was not his place to do. And he receives a rebuke from Samuel, saying, you have displeased God by disobeying his commandments. And after that rebuke by Samuel, we see a steady decline in Saul, in his confidence. And by the time David comes into the story, in the picture, Saul is given over to some kind of like a manic depressive episodes which lead him to irrationally and obsessively hunting down David, who's his own son-in-law, to try and kill him. He went from this incredibly noble king to this really broken person who was just trying to kill David because he saw him as a threat. But David, on the other hand, also knew failure. Maybe I would think of even greater consequence than Saul's. You know the story of David. He slept with his, fr his best friend's wife. I mean, that's, that's really bad. <laughs> and then he set up his friend's death to avoid his friend finding out what a scumbag he'd been. Yet David's story has a very different outcome. Not only does he become the most loved king of Israel, but from his and Bathsheba's child, we know is the line of Jesus. What an amazing two different stories, two different kings. And what is it that makes some people respond like Saul's and Walter's, and some people respond like Douglas's and David's? You see, I believe that failure and hardship are nearly an inevitable part of life. Everyone will experience failure, disappointment, and maybe trauma sometime in their lives. And what I want to speak about today is that ineffable quality called resilience, which allows us that even though we get knocked down by life, that actually we can come back stronger than ever. And rather than letting failure overcome us and drain our resolve, we find ways to rise from the ashes. You see, I believe that we can choose how we respond to our weaknesses or our setbacks or the traumas that, we, that might afflict us. We can allow them to define us as worthless or insignificant 
or we can see them as opportunities or doors to make changes and address things in our lives that could be different. I think that resilience or grit is that quality in us that helps us overcome and pick ourselves up again. And I'm sure, and I know all of you have it. The Apostle James put it this way, James 1 verse 2 to 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, facing hard things, whether they may be in our past or daily struggles that we have to deal with, that's a very real thing. But James is saying that we can look at these things as negatives or we can see them as the way in which we develop staying power and grit and become mature in our character and in our faith. It depends how you see things. And resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, and threats of significant stress in our lives, such as family and relational problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stresses. It means bouncing back from difficult experiences. Because even if I have to look at in a human level, if I go and do some research into what psychologists have found, they say that actually resilience is ordinary. Resilience is the norm. Most people pounce back. It's not extraordinary. We do that. And uh, you have to think of examples like um, the, the bombing, the September 11th bombing, how those people that went through all of that trauma, they have rebuilt their lives. You would think that that would devastate you completely. Think of families that had to go through the Second World War and concentration camps, how they actually were able to rebuild their lives. It's an amazing thing. Um, think of these people that are refugees, fleeing Syria across, uh, uh, across Europe. There's something in them that keeps them going. There's something that wants to rebuild their lives. There's a thing called resilience. It's something that God has put in people. Uh, I read a, another study of um, a study on children that had alcoholic parents. And uh, so often we think that the traumas of our childhood could actually impede us and actually cause us to be worse off. But they did the study and they said all of those children, and they saw them in three categories, they all went through very um, difficult emotional things that they had to work through, obviously. Um, but they saw that some of them um, actually resolved quite at a young age to, to be different to their parents and they lived in a different life. And some of them actually went and they, they actually became a little bit... Uh, their behavior, they had behavioral issues and they, they acted out and they, they really didn't comply with um, uh, what was expected of them. But later on, in their 30s and 40s, they pulled their lives together because they knew what they wanted. They had a resilience despite the setbacks of their childhood. You see, 
being resilient doesn't mean that you don't experience difficulty or distress because emotional pain and sadness are common in people who suffered major adversity or trauma in their lives. In fact, the road to resilience is often con has considerable emotional distress. Resilience is not a quality that people either have or don't have. It's not something you're kind of born with. I have resilience and you don't have resilience. It involves behaviors, thoughts, and actions that can be learned. And as we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, he binds our brokenheartedness and he restores us with his comfort and his peace. The writer to the Hebrews, in speaking about how God uses hardship as training in our lives, he says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by, by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees and make level paths for your feet so that the lame may be healed may not be disabled, but rather healed. I'm going to read that last part to you. It says, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What does he mean when he says that last part? He says that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I believe the writer to the Hebrews is saying that those areas in our lives which are weak, they don't need to become areas that cripple us. Don't let the lame make, uh, so that the lame may not be disabled. Those areas where we struggle, those weaknesses that we have, they don't need to become areas that cripple us. But instead, as we trust God's loving hand in our lives, and as we allow him to heal our brokenness, we begin to see fruitfulness of peace and righteousness in our lives. But you see, there's another part to that verse. There's an instruction about how we respond. There's a, a command to us, make level paths for your feet. Because you see, the Bible is so practical, isn't it? I think sometimes we don't really help ourselves when we're going through tough times. Instead of making good choices to strengthen ourselves, we can derail the good work that God is doing in our lives. Making level paths for your feet get, means getting rid of things that trip you up and are unhelpful and replacing them with helpful behaviors and choices. So I want to talk about three things, three areas that I believe are ways that we can make level paths for our feet so that we can develop resilience in our lives, that ability to bounce back when we have hard knocks. And you know what? We all have them. We all have areas of our lives where we just feel like it's a little chink in our armor. It's the area we constantly have to wrestle with. And God wants us to be overcomers in that area. He doesn't want it to continually cripple us so that we just can't enjoy the richness and the fullness of what he has for our lives. Does that, does that make sense? So the first way that I believe we can make level paths for our feet is that we have to address our thought life. We have to address what goes on in this place. 
I don't know if you like me, sometimes I live more in my head. I imagine every kind of scenario in my head. Um, I don't know if that's a woman thing, but it's like bzzz, all the, the wires are buzzing around. I, am, I find this very interesting interview, which I listened um, from the Harvard Business Review. It was between a journalist from the Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Business uh, School and um, with a, a renowned psychologist from Philadelphia. His name is Martin Seligman, and he was the author of a new book called Flourish. And basically, Martha Seligman was approached in, uh, I think, about four, four years ago by the U.S. Army to see how he could help soldiers who were dealing with post-traumatic stress and, other, and suicide and depression because of what they were experiencing, how they could develop resilience to bounce back from those kinds of traumatic things. And he said a very interesting thing when I was listening to this interview. And he said, in a survey of soldiers, he asked them when they were meeting in the room, he said, how many of you have heard of a condition called post-traumatic stress? And he said 97% of the guys there put up their hands saying they knew about what that was. And then he asked them this question, he says, how many of you know about post-traumatic growth? That means bouncing back and recovering from after you've had that kind of thing in your life and only 10% put up their hands. And Selig said this very, Seligman said this very interesting thing in the interview. He said that so often what we focus on and uh, see as this is our lot in life, I have this condition, I'm really struggling, it feeds into a negativity that that is the way my life will always be. And he says if we, um, if we find it hard to recover from setbacks when we think that we are always going to be struggling. And uh, very often the human reaction to extreme trauma, and I can only imagine what soldiers may go through, um, is often those things of anxiety, depression, suicide, and post-traumatic stress disorder. But remembering that most people are resilient is an important thing because it's normal to feel sad, it's normal to feel distressed when we face difficult or traumatic situations. But most people, he said, are able to overcome this and get back on their feet. And he said the fact that they knew that that was a potential that that could happen transformed how they thought about the symptoms that they were dealing with. Um, about two years ago, when I was going through a personal time of, of burnout, I was at the end of myself. I had um, very little res reserves emotionally and was just hanging on and coping in my life. And we were in our life group one night and someone was sharing the story about Elijah and how Elijah, when he had taken on the prophets of Baal, then he was suddenly challenged by Jezebel, that wicked woman, and he fled from there and he hid himself in the valley of Kidron and he hid away and God fed him with the ravens. And I felt in many ways when I was going through that time like I was in that valley. It was a barren place. It was really felt like God was just feeding me by the ravens plus little bits to keep me going. And I don't know if you've I'm sure many of you have been in a, in a valley of Kidron place in your life. It's not a nice place. And because it was such an overwhelming time, I thought that that was where, that I thought this is my life now. I'm actually just surviving. I'm just 
going from day to day, getting up in the morning, and that's all I can cope with. But when they shared this story in life group, um, the person who shared it then said, but then it said, Elijah got up and he left the valley. And you know what? Something just dropped into my spirit. Elijah got up and he left the valley. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to say that you will leave the valley because that is what God has for you. This valley is a temporary place and God has got so much to take you into. The emotional pain you may be experiencing is a normal response to an overwhelming experience, but it's not your identity. And we have to learn to separate our identity from our experiences. They don't define you as a person, but they can be doors to new good choices in your life. And through that difficult time, I learned to take care of my emotional and my mental well-being, and I learned to put in boundaries in terms of work-life balance. All of those things, those were good things, and I learned to have compassion for people who are going through hard times. God helps us grow through those different things that we go through. Philippians 1 verse 3 to 6 says, I thank my God every time I think of you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership with the, in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, we can so define ourselves by the symptoms and the consequences of difficulties that when we feel sad, when we feel down, we think things will never change. But Paul spoke hope over the Philippians. In the midst of their struggles, he was saying, God is at work in your lives. It started with his saving grace to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and to bring you into his kingdom of light. And it's continuing with his sanctifying grace as he changes you and transforms you more and more to become in the image of his son, Jesus. You see, you and I are a work in progress. And that work is getting better and better all the time as he works and makes us more like Christ. I think that if we think that we are not changing, if we think that our circumstances have defined us forever, we don't really know the power of Christ that lives within us. Paul said it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you and in me. We don't really know the power of Christ that abides in us. We are not just blobs of flesh walking around. We have the power of the living God within us. So I believe that one of the first stumbling blocks we need to remove to level the path so we can develop resilience to bounce back is that we need to stop thinking of ourselves in a humanistic, unspiritual way. If you are a child of God, he is at work to heal your heart and to restore you. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, 4 to 5, because the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There are other ways as well that can be thinking traps that we need to be aware of. And one of them is negativity. I want you to think for a minute, and maybe you won't do it now, but to catch yourself in the moment about your self-talk, what you say over yourself. Do you, do you hear yourself saying things to yourself when you do something, oh, you stupid idiot? Do you say sometimes to yourself, no one really likes me? Do you sometimes say to yourself, I can't do this? You would probably never say those things to anyone else, would you? Would you just say to someone who was trying hard, you can't do that? Would you say to something, someone else, no one likes you? <laughs> we say that to ourselves. And I believe that God wants us to think of ourselves in a different way. He wants us to build resilience in our lives by stop speaking negatively. And that's one of the things I had to learn. Uh, I had to say to myself sometimes, you know, well done, Helen, you did really great today. I mean, that could sound boastful, but actually sometimes we need to be speaking well to ourselves. We need to be encouraging ourselves. Or, well done, you were really kind to that nasty person. Well done. You, we need to be strengthening and building ourselves up. I believe that a healthy thought life comes from understanding how we bring the thoughts and the arguments that go around in our heads in line with the grace of God and his processes in our lives. You see, I think emotional things like depression and anxiety, they don't stem majorly from the adversity itself. They come from our belief about that adversity. It comes from how, what our attitude is about that adversity. Let's say, let's take a topical subject like rugby, that we won't go further than that. Imagine you are on a rugby team and you keep missing the catches every time someone passes the ball to you. That would be your adversity, that you keep dropping the ball. And then you give in to those heat-of-the-moment thoughts like, oh, I'm a failure, I can't play rugby. And then the emotions that are generated by those thoughts are for the rest of the day, you just feel down and you feel like, I'm rubbish and I can't do this, and you withdraw, and the next training exercise you don't do well because actually, why, why should you bother? You're rubbish at rugby. You see, I think that laying a level path for our feet in terms of our thought life is identifying those negative patterns, those negative attitudes to the thing that happens to us. Maybe someone comes and says to you, you know, why didn't you look after this and this in your work? You should have been taking care of that. Immediately you can say, oh, oh man, I'm not up to this. I'm really rubbish. Oh, I feel so terrible. And all these downward spirals can come into your heart. Or else you can say, oh yeah, I did mess up. I should have taken care of that. I better put it right. I'm going to fix it up. It's a very, very different attitude, how we can catch ourselves in the moment. That's one of the ways that we can make level paths for our feet, thinking differently. 
I want to say the second area that we need to make level paths for our feet is that we need to surround ourselves with loving, supportive people. I read a story, and I'm, I'm sure this is not uncommon for maybe for people who have come from places like South Africa and different countries where there's much violence, although this story happened in the States. But there was a lady called Ibo, and her, she was abducted when she was getting her shopping and um, had a terrible thing happen where she was thrown out of her car off a bridge into a river. Terrible, traumatic experience. And uh, it's very interesting. She said in an interview that after her abduction, she said her resilience grew because she was surrounded by caring people. Beginning within five minutes of her escape, um, Ebo crawled up a rocky riverbank and a truck driver picked her up, took her to a new, nearby convenience store and bought her a cup of tea. And the police, when they arrived, they were sympathetic and patient. And the doctor at the hospital, she says, treated her like a daughter. And a close friend took her in for a time and her family offered her reassurance and emotional support. I believe that resilience to bounce back after traumatic events or emotional stresses in our lives comes when we surround ourselves with those who will love us and encourage us, and uh, especially when we feel at the end of ourselves, people who won't judge us. And so often when people experience difficulties, it presents this fork in the road, doesn't it, in how we're going to choose to cope with the things that have happened in our lives. And often depression leads to emotional detachment and from the very people that God has given to comfort us in our struggles. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 4 it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. It's not a trouble that you can go through that the Lord doesn't have comfort for you so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The way that God comforts us is through his body. And I believe that the church is the healing community. Where else do you learn to trust again after you've been rejected, if not in the body of Christ? Where else do you learn to feel safe when you've been violated or broken in some way if it is not in the body of Christ. And of course, we, we, are, we are not all perfect and maybe we don't always respond as we should, but this needs to be the healing community where people can find that resilience to bounce back because they're learning to regain trust. And I would say we, we have to be wise with those that we choose to share our, our deepest parts with. But I think in a community, in God's healing community, Different people bring different elements of God's comfort. Some person might bring companionship and friendship. Another person might be a source of wise counsel and wisdom in your life. Another person could be offer very practical support. These are all comforts that God uses for us. And one of the myths, I believe, that really needs to be dispelled, if it cannot be dispelled in the church, then I think 
God, please help us to understand this truth. But that is that asking for help and support is a sign of weakness. I think that if we can't ask for help in the church, if we can't say, please, I'm really struggling, please help me, then where can people turn if we cannot do it here? And um, all of us go through seasons when we need comfort and the support of others. And as I've shared with you, I've needed that in my life. And I think we have a very bad example as leaders if we always come across that we never need encouragement or comfort because we do as much as anyone else. We don't want to have a church where there's a facade of, we all okay, Jack, and we can never approach and say, and be vulnerable and say, I need encouragement, I need support. So studies show, and the word says it, I love that the word always was right in the first place and people are catching on, that we develop greater things, we develop greater resilience through tough things in our lives when we surround ourselves with those who build us up. And I want to say that also involves putting up boundaries in unhealthy relationships that break us down. You can't be naive that if there's people that continually break you down and destroy your confidence and destroy your sense of well-being and emotional well-being, you need to put up healthy boundaries and not give those people access into your life to break you down. You need to take care of your emotional health and well-being. I always have this little saying, disciple yourself up. Surround yourself with people who are going to point you to God, who are going to give you godly perspective, who help you see things from a place of grace and freedom in your life. So that's the second way. And uh, I hope I'm not... I know this is maybe a bit long this morning, but I'm just going to share the third way. So the first one is deal with those negative thoughts that make you feel like you're defined by your experience. Your experience doesn't define you. God does. You not Because of some things that have happened to you, those things are not you. They've happened to you. You are still a wonderful person that God loves. And don't let those thoughts make you pull you, pull you down. And then surround yourself with people who will affirm that in your life. And the third thing um, I want to say that helps us build resilience is for us to see the bigness and the sovereignty of God in our lives and his greatness and his power that is at work. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 to 18 says this. It's the one you don't want to hear when you're going through a hard time, but we need to hear this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God wants us to have an eternal perspective. Paul says that our troubles, he's speaking to everyone, our troubles are light and they're momentary. And we may not feel like that. But he's making a statement of fact. He's saying in the light of eternity, in the light of all the good things that God has got stored up for you, the glory that he's keeping for you in heaven, the joys that he has for you, you will look back in heaven one day and you'll think, oh, that was nothing. 
That was nothing. And he's saying, get that heavenly perspective as if you're standing in that glory right now and look at your troubles with a retrospective attitude and see right now they're lighter momentary because this life is not the total sum of all that God has for you. He is storing up eternity for you. He's preparing something wonderful for you. And Philippians 3, verse 13 to 15 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold, have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, God will make that clear to you. Forget what is behind. Let it go. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. Look in the windscreen. God is taking you into the future. Look ahead to what he has in store for you. We can grow in resilience and bounce back and grow stronger when we go through difficult things, when we keep our mind on the prize that God has for us, his rewards, and as we persevere in his love and grace. Don't give up. There's a great, great, great crowd of witnesses in heaven cheering you on, saying, you can do it. You can do it, Annika. You can do it, Marlene. You can do it, Chrissy. You can do it. God is cheering you on. And so are all those people that have gone for the centuries before you. And let's most of all remember Jesus' example to us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He saw something bigger, and he saw that this thing is hard, but I'll get through it because of what lies ahead, what I have. And as I was um, getting up this morning and reflecting on what I was thinking, how many of you learned to ride a bicycle? How many of you fell off the bike before you learn to ride it. <coughs> That's life. We all fall off the bike. But you get back on the bike. Did your mom and dad say, oh, you've fallen, I'm not going to help you anymore? No, you get back on the bike and you ride the bike. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't let falling off the bike define your personality, define your character, define your identity. God says, get back on the bike we're going somewhere, we're going to the park and we're going to have fun. Okay? So I want to encourage you this morning. Allow God to work by his spirit in your heart. Let him put that grit in you. All of you have it because you are children of the living God and he is taking you from a place of feeling overwhelmed to a place of victory. And so next week I really want to share about a wonderful gift of self-awareness, how we can understand ourselves better so that we can move into the promises that God has for us. Okay. Um, I think, uh, uh, so we thought we'd do some, maybe break with communion now. I don't know, maybe you want some prayer in terms of some of the things I've shared this morning. Maybe you are really feeling like, there's an area that you need breakthrough. We have a wonderful prayer ministry team, and they're going to be standing on the side over there, um, and maybe over here. And if you just, if you want someone just to stand with you, and you say, 
I can understand what Helen's saying. I'm just not feeling it. I'm really needing this God to help me form some resilience in my life to get through this. Let them pray with you. Remember, surround yourself with caring people who will help you. You can't do this on your own because God has put us in community.